Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sixty is back. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Jakob Swanson here making it happen. Sarah Triplett, our production assistant. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, Lance Lee on assignment today. Gentlemen, a lot to hit on this Tuesday edition. Day sixty. Six. six. 66. What's up? 66. I was going to say 67. I was no. going to be off. You were going to be off by one Give day. Give us a bonus show. I'm excited uh, for today's show. Not as excited about our FanDuel sportsbook parlays, but other than that, very excited about the content that we have prepared for you. You didn't like Embiid uh, going 0 for 12? Didn't like that. Missing a layup? No. A layup? Didn't you want to like get that. out of not shooting well? What do you want? A layup. He gets a layup. He misses the layup. Didn't love that. 76ers were up double digits in the third, and you just knew that Atlanta was going to make a run. That's what these NBA games do. Uh, There's always a run. My my theory is you can tune in with three minutes to go, and normally eight eight times out of ten you're getting a close matchup. That was the case last night. It was a great finish. The problem is we had money on the 76ers with FanDuel.com. The big problem. (laughs) And uh, the money line, and not Atlanta in the points. Awful. It's been a rough go. It's been since um, <laughs> Tuesday after Memorial Day. That I was the last winner, and it was the Tuesday coming back from Memorial Day. We won, and since then it's been L L L L L L L L. It's been rough. L. That's it. Now we're on to Tuesday. Well, Those are the L's. I've gone two heavy favorites and a minimal win. Okay. That's, 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 a, that's a win is all point. we need. We just need to, yeah. We it's need funny, the mojo to turn. That's night. what we need. We need I the did mojo another to turn. one last night, and I won. I, I, Chad and I are winning some side parlays. Hutton won a side parlay. Yep. Uh, so our secondary parlays are the way to go. All of us should bet one parlay together to lose and then do a secondary parlay that will win. It's the one we're least confident in that is the one that's going to win. So we're confident in this. Here's what I'm not confident in. So in turn, it's the one you should play because it's the one that will probably And it's hit. funny because these additional parlays are just enough to keep my account at the same number that it always is at. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you're staying even. That's good, yeah. Unless it's zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up, Major League Baseball sends out a memo on foreign substances on baseballs. We'll, we'll discuss that, and we, we have visual aids that David Reed will provide. Uh, Tennessee Power Hour includes the Titans opening minicamp. That and the College World Series with Tennessee and Vanderbilt being one of the the two favorites going into the tournament. Uh, But we start as we go into the middle of June. This is the land of lists for sports talk, uh, for entertainment, uh, throughout the what we say the the the, the off season, the non-football season, but we we are getting into 
the middle of Major League Baseball season. Uh, we're, we're seeing the NBA wind down, and you get into a lull with even in the NFL where we're about to go into about six weeks prior to training camp where players are off and they're not at the facilities. Uh, a lot of shows will go with top five, top ten lists that are quite impossible uh, to avoid, but, but sometimes impossible to actually fill out, which Outkick.com is attempting to do, Chad, with top shows of all time. I, I love a good list. I love it. I think it can be. It, it sometimes it seems, you know, a little too typical of sports talk radio or whatever. But when it's a good list and it's well thought out, I like thinking about them. Uh, Bobby Barack at Outkick put together top five TV shows all time. Clay Travis then retweeted it with his top five. I saw Will Kane retweeted it. Some other media members have chimed in. Here's my top I five. I think Will Kane started this with his appearance on Clay's show, and then Bobby picked up on it from there. Okay. Maybe that's what uh, – maybe – I don't know. Actually, Will Kane uh, retweeted Bobby's story and said, here are my five. So I think right. Bobby's – What you're saying way. is it's impossible because well, here's, of interest. Not just interest. Like This is where critics and what you believe other people think about shows, there's no separating – these things on it. So when you say top five TV shows of all time, and again, everybody could have a different list, and I'm not going to sit here and poke holes in each list. Bobby Bragg goes with The Sopranos, number one, The Leftovers, two, Breaking Bad, three, The Wire, four, Game of Thrones, five. So, but what you're saying is these are all prestige, quote unquote, prestige TV dramas that started with The Sopranos. There is a clear line of demarcation with prestige television. It starts in 1997, I think it was, 98, whatever it was, when The Sopranos started on HBO. Everything after that through now is the prestige TV era. So if you go Mad Men, Breaking Bad, all of these shows, Game of Thrones, these are prestige TV era dramas that are on there. Where does Cheers rank? You know, where does... Seinfeld rank if you're looking at best TV shows. So you have to specify. These are your favorite prestige era dramas. There are shows before this that I think you could rank in these top five. Also, well, the, the guy's Office, like 12 years old. He's not looking at anything old. Well, he's not the only one Again, doing this, Paul. Will Kane responded and said Breaking Bad, The Wire, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Deadwood, Peaky Blinders. Well, that's not five, so he can't count. That's six, right? That's his, that's his six. He said, I reserve the right to change if I forgot something. He put six. But here's my point. I think Lost is the best show of all time. Lost gets panned because of the ending. But before that, critics loved Lost. I, I didn't mind the ending as much as everyone else. Was it perfect? No. But was I more invested in that TV show week to week? Did it give me more enjoyment than any show in my life? Yes. And it's the last of its kind. I don't know that we're ever going to have a network show yeah. that generates so much mystery and interest every single week where people are online. This was pre-Reddit. Appointment and people viewing. had websites dedicated to theories about the show, and it was on a network. So I would put Lost, I don't know if it's number one, but I'd put Lost in that top five for me personally. I just think it's fun to play with these lists, and we could do it all day with sports. Greatest Major League Baseball franchises in history. Greatest NBA players, greatest <laughs> NFL quarterbacks. It's easier, though, to compare eras and put together a list of athletes than to me it is to say, what are your favorite, what are the best five TV shows of all five? It's so subjective 
that there's, there's not a lot of stats you can put into it. And this is what Bobby writes. List every show you've ever watched. Which one were you most invested in? Well, if that's the case, then Lost is number one for me. But also, I can't sit here. I've seen a lot. I can't mentally... It would take me days to sit down and remember every show I've seen. Flavor of Love for me. Married with Children. <laughs> you know, where does Married with Children rank? I've seen every episode of Married with Children on reruns five to ten times as a kid. Like, there's just so many shows out there, and there's so Laguna many Beach. genres. Where does Homeland rank? Like, that would be in my top five. Homeland's also. Very but good. Homeland's like a separate list of, like, espionage, spy, government intrigue. I put the Americans on that list also. It's 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 a difficult task. I cannot though help but score down bad ending. Like uh, we watched The Wire together during the pandemic and did podcasts about it. I thought the last season of The Wire was horrible. So the first four seasons being excellent was lost to me because McNulty went crazy in that last season and did the dumb serial killer thing and it was so over the top, so unbelievable to me that they would have uh, that he could have gotten away with what he was doing. That it diminished the rest of the but series. See, the Wire, Paul, is the is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. The Wire is not in my top twenty, all time, but everyone wants to put the Wire in the top five because yeah, a lot of people every do. critic wants to put the Wire in the top five. Yeah. So they're moving it up the list subconsciously because everyone loves it so much. It was a good show. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters. I can give you twenty other shows right now that I enjoyed more than The Wire. Uh, the Leftovers is. But one we didn't that watch in, The in Wire the live. Like I, I think no, we time, watched it the in the moment. In the, the going back to your 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 thing of of you know weekly episodic TV shows. It was so cutting there edge. There isn't a well. I mean, it's okay. Uh, it, it's it's well written. It's not a great TV show. It's not one. I'm with you. I wouldn't put it in, in a, a top ten list for me. But if you're watching it live and you're going week to week at the time and watching it on HBO, I understand the intrigue there if you're watching it in real time. I also as think it plays at out. the time it was like we watched it, what, 20 years later, so it wasn't cutting edge for us. But at the time it was a new envelope kind of thing. Well, but you need, again, I think it all starts with The Sopranos, which aired before The Wire. The Sopranos, yeah. then The Wire, and that's where it kind of started was HBO on Sunday nights was the place to be for prestige yes. TV. All right, The Leftovers is second on Bobby's list. Ridic I enjoyed The Ridiculous. Leftovers. It's three seasons. Okay, but if we're going to include The Leftovers and talk cutting edge, Twin Peaks was the most cutting edge drama on primetime TV for two seasons. So for that reason, where does Twin Peaks rank? And I watched it five years ago for the first time. I didn't watch it in real time when I was a little kid. But I watched it then. Like when you're picking the leftovers, you're being fancy because you know most people haven't seen the leftovers. So you're saying, look at me, I'm big and fancy. I'm picking a show most people haven't seen. It's like picking an art house film in your top five films. But see, Paul, I think when you put The Wire in the top five, you can't I, I'm tell not me putting it in the top, top five all time. I, I'm not putting it in the top five. I'm, you just I, said I, you'd put it third on your list. I didn't say I'd put it third on my list. You said it would be up there. I, I like it, but I, I also have trouble immediately thinking of shows. So when you mention Homeland and the Americans, I'm like, oh, I forgot and the Americans. The Americans would be top five for me. I think the Americans was brilliant. I, I just, I'd knock the wire out for the Americans in a second. So the Rolling Stone did this recently with sitcoms. Yeah, I read that. Right? And it was really well done and put together. But there are shows on there. There are so many animated series on there. Uh, Bluey on Netflix it's just it's it's mind-boggling to me how how are we going to compare bluey an australian kids animated show <laughs> to silicon valley on hbo or yeah. veep but that's the list you've made the sitcoms so these are a hundred i just there's i guess here's what i'm trying to get up 
There are so many options for entertainment today that you could fine-tune this thing to shows about the presidency and have Veep and West Wing and go down the list. Show featuring an American president. House of Cards. You could have, yes, you could have 10 shows just with that. So if you're going to make a list of top five TV shows all time, and I'm not disputing anything Bobby or Will or Clay said because these are their top five shows. I think two things. One, there's no way to not allow critics' viewpoint to infect your own opinion on, on the best show. I think what Paul said, ratings and how many people saw it mm-hmm. are going to play a factor. Paul's saying not enough people watch The Leftovers to be a part of it. I'm saying The Leftovers wasn't, it was a good show, wasn't on long enough. Three seasons, to me, it needs to be five seasons minimum if you're going to be included in the best, and I'm talking best prestige dramas of all time. I think it is a very difficult a buddy of mine said, I hate seeing these lists because it makes me mentally take note of everything I've seen and make my own top five list. And I'm thinking, if I even started that process, I'd have to narrow it out to different genre, right? Well, this is why people do lists, to instigate, uh, not in a negative way, conversations like this. Um, and it always makes for a good conversation if, uh, in things that people are passionate about. Best shows, best teams, best games, best players, best seasons, and uh, n- nobody's going to agree. Nobody ever looks at a list and goes, you know what? That's it. Nailed it. That's it. Well, okay, like if there was a panel of critics and uh, pop culture experts, you know, the Rolling Stone example of sitcoms, if they want to come up with the top 100 dramas of all time, I will look at the list and read their rationale. And I'm probably going to read harder about shows I didn't like. That make the list, or and, didn't and, hear and to get their there was reason some in that that I'd never heard of. In the right? Time, yeah, in the yeah. There sitcoms. was uh, there was one I remember at the start British, of the sitcom that was like stuff. Frank's Place that was on one season on ABC in 1981, right. or something about a New Orleans diner and voodoo around the diner, and it was number 100 on the list or 98 or whatever. So I'd read about the shows I didn't know as much about. But if if we even took the time to do this exercise ourselves. I would just be more interested in what Hutton's top five list is, or Paul's, or mine, because then it would show me a lot more about the subject writing it than it does the actual show. Does that make sense? Much like, like the next question I have. I, like, I want you to be honest with it. You know, If it's Saved by the Bell in your top five, tell me. It tells me a lot about you in your era. Jacob, give us your, your top two shows on, on your personal list. This is, this is what I have Which to American hear. Horror Story season are you going uh, with? I- I think Fargo season two. Okay, it's Fargo season two or three. Yeah. It's the the one that gets really absurd and surreal. Yes. Um, and then probably Twin Peaks. Nice. Although that doesn't meet uh, nice. Chad's qualification of a. Did you watch the show. second coming of Twin Peaks on Showtime? The return. I have not watched it yet. I I like to take my time getting to media <laughs> because uh, the part of because of what Chad was saying about uh, critics and. I don't like people talking about the things that I'm consuming because then they kind of take how I view them. Here's, yeah. here's what I want to do now. Um, on Thursday's show, I'm just going to talk for 15 minutes about Twin Peaks The Return just to ruin it. Not even give spoilers, just give my critique of the show so Jacob will never watch it. If you like surreal and absurd, that's the show for you because it was even more so than the original. I had no clue. I had to go read about what was taking place. After every episode to figure out what was going on. Reed, uh, would you like to chime in on your favorite CMT show? <laughs> um, so just as, you know, I b- believe that we reached the height of, of culinary excellence when the uh, Choco Taco <laughs> was invented. Uh, we reached the height of television when the, I first met 
Bo and Luke do. <laughs> <laughs> the Chaco but see, Taco. That, but like, if 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 Reed goes with Dukes of Hazard in his top five, I, I'm more interested in if I'm going to read someone in their opinion. It just tells me a lot about them with their top right, five, right. and it's not me judging them. It just tells me about their personality. I don't want just a regurgitation of the critics' choice top five prestige dramas. Give me what you like. Again, I'm giving you one that's not going to appear in many top fives. Lost is probably number one for me, personally. And The Wire is not going to be in my top five. Does that make me wrong because I don't line up with the critics on this? Or is it just more interesting to get people's actual opinion? Maybe we will create our own individual list at some point. But I wanted to talk about the broad scope of how difficult it is to make a list like this first. Novak Jokovic, we, we get into a list he joins of underappreciated and value of athletes right now. We've, we discussed that and much more straight ahead. Plus, David Reed brought some visual aids. Spider-Tack is in the studio Sweet. as Major League Baseball gets ready to hand down some penalties. Or are they? They sent out a memo um, that last night, Seemed pretty straightforward on a 10-day suspension without pay. And then this morning, based on what is being quoted, it's very vague in its umpire's discretion. We, we discussed that and more straight ahead on OutKick 360. First, though, MyDrHank.com. Make America hard again. That is what Dr. Hank has been doing. Erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men. It does not have to make you feel like half of a man. My Dr. Hank helps you get low-cost ED meds and overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. And if you're suffering from this, there's no need to live with it. There's also no need to be ashamed considering it affects over half of men out there. But if you want something shipped discreetly to your home, My Dr. Hank can do that, and it's coming to you from a pharmacy in the U.S. All for as low as $2 per pill, Paul. $2 per pill because it's 50% off your first subscription order. Go to mydrhank.com slash outkick. Sign up and you get 50% off your first subscription order, which is a steal at that price. This offer available for a limited time. Mydrhank.com slash outkick to sign up. Across the Outkick Network, crew is all here coming up. We display spider tack uh, as a visual aid sitting right here behind us. We've got that here. And Major League Baseball's crackdown on spider tack uh, straight ahead. But first, Novak Djokovic is a grand slam away from tying Nadal and Federer for the most all time. And Chad sent a text this morning wondering how underappreciated he is. I, I tuned in and watched part of the final. Uh, for the French Open uh, Sunday morning and how close he came to actually losing. He was down two sets early um, and then always has and finds a way to turn it on. Um, but are we turning on Novak Djokovic whenever he's on the TV screen? Whenever are we stopping to watch him play? Are we appreciating the dominance that he currently possesses? Yeah, and he's second. He's, a, he's you know, one more and he's going to tie Nadal and Federer, but He's first on this list also. We're going to show you a tweet right now. He's the only uh, tennis star to have two career grand slams in the open era. So that's one that he owns by himself. And I think that's even more impressive because he's won on all surfaces, you know, more than those guys. Yeah. And didn't, he's racked up at, at certainly he's got more in certain events than others, but not as much as, you know, Federer, say, at Wimbledon. 
and winning over and over again, or Nadal at the French Open because he's so great on clay also. Um, I, it's rare now that because of the era we live in that you get to a point where someone can be undervalued and undercovered and underappreciated. But, but I do think with Novak Djokovic, he is a tennis star. We know that we're living in the golden era of greatness in men's tennis. When you look at probably the top three guys all time are playing in the same era with Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. But Djokovic is clearly, to me, number three on that list in the minds of most. Yeah. And he does lack one more Grand Slam to tie those guys. But because of the, the stat I just rolled out there, he may end up being the greatest tennis star of all time uh, when his career is over. And I just don't think that we give him enough credit. And, guys, I think it's pretty rare, and I've got some other examples, that anyone could be undervalued in today's world where coverage is what it is and everyone's talking about everything. But I think that Novak Djokovic in this latest French Open title, that's a guy who's undervalued, and his greatness has been undervalued by the sporting public. I think the, with the ability to watch literally anything now, uh, we are in an age where I, I think we, we undervalue and, and underappreciate more than what we realize. I, and I, I would categorize that as the Hall of Very Good instead of the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I think that the Hall of Very Good is undervalued because everyone wants to compare every single athlete to the Hall of Fame. You know, Pro Football Hall of Famer, First Ballot Hall of Famer, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, Ben Wallace getting into the Basketball Hall of Fame. When you think about that, you know, in the moment, I'm watching Ben Wallace. At no point, at no point did I think, you know what, I'm watching a Hall of Famer. Um, maybe I should have, you know, because of what he did on the defensive end. But my, my overall point to say, I think in today's age, because of the comparisons to the greats, uh, we, we undervalue what we're actually watching in the moment, even though it does not compare to those that are in or going to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, are, are we valuing Russell Wilson enough? I don't think we are because we're comparing him to Brady and Manning Rogers. and you know, and Aaron Rodgers, but the numbers he's putting up are extremely good. It, it, but he's measured against those that are all-timers. When it's top-heavy. So, it, it, you know, are, are we valuing what we're watching in the moment? When you go to a game at, in, in whatever city you're in and you watch him play, are you realizing what you're viewing? I, I don't think we do that enough with him because we're comparing him to literally the best of all time in his era. What's his likability personality factor versus Nadal and Federer? I think that plays in a little bit too. It's a gentlemanly sport. Is he gentlemanly compared yes. to those guys? I think he's viewed sometimes. He's got a little bit more of a sandpaper personality than those guys, but I think that's part we applaud of it. that with a lot yes. of guys. We, we applauded do. that with John McEnroe. We do. But uh, I don't know that the international tennis fan does. And this is a largely international tennis fan. I don't know if if we in America credit any of those guys enough because America's out on tennis because it's been so long since there's been an American involved in, in men's tennis. So I don't, I don't credit, I, I raise my hand in a minute, I don't credit any of them enough because I don't watch tennis the way I used to because I don't, I don't have skin in the game, so to speak. And it's just, again, one of those things that's fallen off. There was a time where I'd never miss a Wimbledon final, and now it's rare that I, I see it. 
Yeah, it's just it's odd to me that you know, uh, love or hate LeBron James. When LeBron James retires, mm-hmm. everyone is going to acknowledge. Boy, we just witnessed one of the all-time greats right. hang it up for the last time. There's going to be that acknowledgement. I don't know that we're going to fully appreciate maybe the greatest of all time, Novak Djokovic hanging it up when he hangs it up. And maybe it's the international part of it that not only is he not American, but there's not a dominant American that's his foil that's going against him that leads to that lack of appreciation. But I think it can be said for a lot of people. It's not just, you know, comparison can be the thief of joy, talking about Russell Wilson and every time you're comparing it, well, he's not top five all time, so I don't care. And it robs you of the joy of watching someone truly great. When I start thinking about underappreciated or undervalued sporting commodities, I immediately think about college coaches. And the reason I think about that is because college coaches have a bigger impact on their teams than anyone else in sports. They are the CEO. They are the talent evaluator. They are the talent acquirers of their programs. They're everything to their programs. And, yes, they have staffs, and that's important everything else. But I think about guys that you don't know what you got till it's gone type guys. I'll tell you one that pops to mind immediately, Kyle Whittingham at Utah. We've got an intern, Very Jake Popoff here, this, this summer, a production assistant, uh, who's a manager for Utah's program. Kyle Whittingham took over when Urban Meyer left Utah to go to Florida back in 2005. I mean, that, he's been there that long at Utah. They have been in the national championship hunt. They were up to the final week of the season two years ago playing for a spot in the playoff. They are relevant pretty much every year in, in the Pac-12. Where is Utah football without Kyle Whittingham? And is anyone talking about Kyle Whittingham? I think, guys, when you are a coach that does not take the next step, that let's say Matt Campbell stays at Iowa State forever and never wins a national title, but has consistently has Iowa State of all programs in the mix to win their division in the Big 12. He will retire and he will not get – I'm not saying he's going to do that, but he will not get the respect he deserves. I think Kyle Whittingham will retire – as Utah's coach, and we'll probably never give him the respect and appreciation and recognition he deserves because he didn't go to one of the big boys and play for a national title or win a national title. And I think that's just sort of part of it when you decide you're going to stay in one place. That's a good one. I've got the glaring one, I think, in modern times is Mike Trout. And I think we all know that Mike Trout is, is undervalued. But I think like that's become his label, and that kind of kind of ties into what you were talking about, HUD, about this like uh, we compare everybody to the, the the Hall of Fame guy, and that gets watered down. I think calling Mike Trout undervalued gets watered down, and and we forget like to look at the context of how undervalued he is. All right, he's won three MVPs. At Pro Baseball Reference, they have something called. Uh, the most valuable player award share. So it doesn't just look at his three MVPs. It looks at MVP votes over his career, all right? So his award share is fifth all-time, 6.32. Just listen to the list. Number one is Barry Bonds. Number two is Stan Musial. Number three is Albert Pujols. Number four is Ted Williams. Number five is Mike Trout. Number six is Willie Mays. Number seven is Mickey Mantle. Number eight is Tide. Henry Aaron, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig. Mike Trout's in the middle of that list. The only other modern guys, Barry Bonds, Albert Pujols. You're talking about all-time greats. So he factors in amongst all-time greats. 
And I still can't get excited about the guy. There's something about him. He plays in California. He's not been in, a, 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 in the playoffs. We've not seen him excel at the higher, highest level. He's on West Coast, so he's good for Hutton's viewing habits, but not for Chad or for me. But if you look at what he's done as a baseball player, we undervalue it in a big way well, you in terms of statistical achievement. The, the problem, though, is who he plays for. You, in that list, you mentioned Cubs, Cardinals, and Yankees. And, then there's and I don't even think it's market or team as yeah, much Red as Sox. just they haven't been to the playoffs. I mean, that's remarkable. I was thinking about that, uh, being frustrated with the Braves over the weekend, losing the Marlins. And I'm like, I'm frustrated with the Braves, who win good, wins their division and goes to the playoffs at the very least, right? Imagine being And they're only five games out of first right now. It's, the season's not over, and they're playing really poorly. And then I think of the Angels, who have Shohei Otani, and Mike Trout and are 500 and in third place in the AL West, and that's a team that's not been to the playoffs since he's been there. So I do think, and I'm with you on Trout as an individual player, but there is something to the fact that you are a stud, an all-time great, and you haven't been to the playoffs. At some point, that is on you. And I know that he's not pitching, and it's baseball, and it takes you know you only get to bat so many times, but that's got to change for him to be truly under consideration. He'll be remembered yeah. more after his career is what you're saying. Yeah. Because he's going to be listed. Well, he's going to be remembered. I mean, his legacy is this idea of being uh, under undervalued, underappreciated. It's, uh, and I think it's going to stay with them as long as they're not good and, and contenders. Well, even if team. they go to the playoffs, you know, if they go to the playoffs and lose in the first round, that's not going to do much to change anything. Right. We'll, we'll see them. But will we see him? I mean, if your team's in the playoffs and the playoffs are so scrambled now, it's on TNT, TBS, they're all spread out. The Angels will be the team that, uh, I mean, they might be on later because they're West Coast, but their they're early game, if it's against somebody in the, in the Midwest or, or the East, that's not a game that's going to feature because the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Braves or somebody with a higher profile will be on in the better time slot. Well, I think but we have more options to view these stars now, but I feel like we're undervaluing more and more people. Um, you know, I don't think I undervalued star athletes growing up no. in the 90s. And I, I had dying three channels. I had dying. three channels for the majority of my, my childhood. Well, you overvalued them because uh, the saturation was so much with certain guys, like I, I, I would go back. But I don't and, feel like I missed anybody. Is my point. Yeah. Like, and, and now I, I feel like we overlook so many because it's just available. But if they're right, if they're, and, and well, there's other options too, which which is true. And like the fact that Mike Trout is overlooked by many is a is a good point. And I even think back to Chris Sabo was a, a fan favorite when I was a kid, and I'm thinking, who's the Chris Sabo of today? Like, who's a guy that? is not a Hall of Famer, mm -hmm. that's not a great, that every Energy fan guy. recognizes in baseball that, is a, that you have posters on the wall of a guy like that. Yeah, and are. you had that in the 80s and 90s. Yes. You don't have it in baseball anymore. I'll give you another college you know, coach Hold on example. one second yeah. on, on, uh, on Trout. If, if our hometown of Nashville had Major League Baseball, if the Rays moved here, mm -hmm. uh, we'd, we'd go to plenty of games with our families. We'd go to plenty of games together as a show to hang out, to take listeners and stuff. Would we go to see Mike Trout? Where would that rank on our games we need to see list? Very, very low. Right. We'd go see Otani. Like we might go see the Angels to see Otani. My kid would want, if Otani was starting a game here and hitting, I'd go see that. Mike Trout would be a, an extra. 
Otani would be pretty high on my list uh, of visiting players. Yeah, I just think that teams, no matter more, a lot of times with with baseball, at least to me, like I would, if, if the Rays moved to Nashville and the AL East, I'd be more interested in seeing the Red Sox and the Yankees. Right. Then, uh, in regardless of who's on their rosters, mm-hmm. then going and seeing, uh, you know, no offense, but if the Orioles had a Mike Trout type player, right, I, I would still be more interested in seeing those teams as opposed to the Angels. But I mean, it's 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 a good point. You know, I think you want to see pitchers that are great in a start. That's always a big draw to me if I'm live right. at a Who's game. Who's starting tonight? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm going to a Braves-Dodgers game and Clayton Kershaw is starting. Right. That's pretty cool. You know, if you get to see guys like that, I think it ups the ante a little bit. One more college coach I want to bring up, and I bet Paul will have thoughts on this one, that I think this is uh, in, in line with you don't know what you got till it's gone, and looking at a program being built by someone is Jim Calhoun at UConn. Jim Calhoun did such a good at UConn, did a good job at UConn, that for my entire childhood, and for the whole time he was there, UConn was in the national picture every single season mm-hmm. as a team to contend. They were the worst in the Big East when he took over in the 80s. They were nothing. And he built that to a level where his entire time there, they were a contender. They leave. I know Kevin Ollie had a, a good year there after he left, but it fell apart for him. I think that Jim Calhoun is one of those guys that maybe in because he wasn't um, he had sort of the personality of a guy who you know wasn't the, the brightest personality. I don't know that we fully appreciated Jim Calhoun while he was coaching because it was such a foregone conclusion. But he built that foregone conclusion from nothing into being a contender every year. Who are those coaches right now in college basketball? Who's the Calhoun of well, this era? Well, I think the guy who does get appreciated enough is Jay Wright. Yes, at Villanova. yes. Uh, I mean, that's one. But there's that, history there. Yeah, he won what two out of four national titles here recently. Two out of three. Um, I think Jay Wright is one that gets the proper respect. It's tough. He's not rough around the edges though, like no, Calhoun was with no. the media. He's, he's very buttoned up. He's good with the media. Other coaches seem to like him. You know, other coaches didn't like Jim Calhoun. Right. Um, that that's that's certainly a factor with it. I'm trying to think of that, that because you brought up a good point, Hutton, about there's so much now that you could make an argument that everyone is undervalued to a certain extent, coaches, players, anyone in today's game. I can't immediately think about a college basketball coach that's just greatly underappreciated for the job that they're doing somewhere. Because I immediately think of the guy who overachieves at a program that hasn't achieved at a big level. So when I go to college football, I think about Matt Campbell, I think about um, I think about Kyle Whittingham. I think about James Franklin at Vandy before he left, and now he's just sort of achieving at Penn State. So it takes a little bit of the greatness off of it, even though he's done a good job at Penn State. You know they're expecting playing in the playoff at some point, playing for a national title, a program like that. Not the expectation at Vandy. I can't think of that guy in college basketball because the one that immediately comes to mind in the in the old Big East would be Jay Wright now at Villanova. And what he's done. You know, the, the recent examples of guys who would have been on this list three or four years ago uh, for the NFL, Andy Reid and Bruce Arians. And now that they've won Super Bowl titles, they're no longer on that list for me. You know, a guy who's a champion that uh, I would say is still undervalued as a coach in the NFL is Tomlin. Uh, Mike Tomlin comes to mind for, for the undervalued aspect of this discussion wins um, every year they win to a certain level pretty much 
Yeah, but so who's who's next on that list that you know one championship takes takes them off of the the list of undervalued or underappreciated? You know, I, I would put uh, Mark Few at, at Gonzaga yeah. on that list, but I think that he's getting his due now, uh, and now it's more of just people feel sad that they, they haven't won it. Yep. They're going to be the clear cut Vegas favorite to be number one in the country this year too. So everyone sort of quietly roots for Gonzaga to break through and, and win one, and they got housed even as the, the number one overall game seed this year by Baylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were the Har- team to beat. You put Harbaugh there. Harbaugh one more for Harbaugh would cement Harbaugh as as something particularly special, maybe. Yeah, but I, I feel like he's there. Right? He and his brother both have been, you know, valued in, in Jim Harbaugh's case overvalued. Appropriately. Um, I'm, I'm it's tough to, to find that NFL coach because there's so much turnover. Short and there's, I mean, right. it's a short list of tenured coaches, right? That are that are out there still coaching. I mean, Tomlin's I'm throwing these example. out not as right. as yeah, done yeah, deals yeah. as questions. Uh, uh, McCarthy, if he won in Dallas after getting after one winning in Green one Bay, in Green Bay, it's very rare for a coach sure. to win in in two places. Uh, you know, these young crowd, the McVeighs, the Shanahan's, they need to take it to another level yes. here. Um, so, so they would certainly be candidates to me, and uh, you know, I I think a guy like um, in in uh, in New Orleans, Sean, Sean Payton, Payton, you know, he could sure use another one, and another one post Breeze would do a lot to elevate him to another level. But he's made it to a degree. Sure. He makes it to a higher degree if he wins a, a, a second Super Bowl. But there are a lot of young guys, you know. I mean, I think Ron Rivera winning a Super Bowl would do wonders for him. He's highly, highly respected. And I think most people think he's very good. But, you know, Let me give you two guys. Super Bowl takes you to a whole nother. Two guys team. that are a ways away from what we're talking about here but have a chance to be legends in their city and in the league. Kevin Stefanski, Sean McDermott. I think those are two guys who already have a roster in place to do big things, and they are coaching in markets that are so starved for a winner Mm -hmm. that they could be the ones. I think of Pete Carroll when he came back to the NFL with Seattle, then winning the championship, had a chance at a dynasty in Seattle that was derailed uh, by Malcolm Butler. But I look at Stefanski and McDermott as maybe – if we're if Hutton, you're saying you know Tomlin at that top of that list, yep. maybe a notch below, very early in their careers, but they have a chance to rise to a level that we're going to look back ten years from now and say that was pretty special. What happened in Cleveland with him, or what happened in Buffalo with McDermott? Also, I, I think you're onto something there. If they win one, I, I don't think you. Th- you I, to me, the automatic thing isn't like can they win another one. To, to yeah. me, well, you win one there, and you it, have it done feels it. feels like right. uh, Johnny Damon and Terry Francona right. and Millar and all those guys we still remember from the 04 Red Sox. They went on to win other titles. But that, you know, was, Boston, but that, that was, was the one. You know, if there was nothing same else. Same for the Cubs. The Cubs maybe aren't going to ever do it again. It, you know, or, or they, they yeah. haven't sustained what they did, but they got the one. Uh, Stephon Gilmore asking uh, to be traded, or if he's not asking, he's not showing up to mandatory minicamp for the New England Patriots. Uh, there has been talks throughout the offseason uh, that he could be on the trading block, and I, my guess is that's going to happen. But the other corner who has not shown up is Xavier Howard uh, in Miami, and that, that's actually a bigger story. Uh, he's holding out for a bigger contract. He's the second highest paid corner on his roster um 
behind Byron Jones, but Howard led the NFL interceptions a year ago. He had 10 picks, and I think he's due around $12 million. But again, he's making less than the guy opposite him for the Dolphins. And what happens with Howard? The Dolphins want to keep him. And it sounds like Gilmore could be moved by the time training camp rolls around. Those are the two holdouts so far, Paul, that stand out to me from what's going on around the NFL with the mandatory minicamp, I mean, other than Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Howard signed a, a, a contract during the 2019 offseason, a five-year extension worth $75.3 million. And Julio Jones and, and signed a big extension and has to be million. traded. Uh, I know, but Howard's a younger guy, and it, and uh, I, I just don't see how, how Miami can fold on that. It, it sets up, they're a young team with a lot of up-and-comers. If everybody's going to ask to renegotiate that quickly, you set a bad precedent there. That, that's a bad situation. A lot of guys can hold out for, for two or three days of minicamp, right? And, th- and that's one thing, and you can afford the, what is it, $50,000 a day for this or I think it'd cost them one hundred fifty thousand uh, so dollars. It's fifty grand a day in training camp. It's fifty grand a day in training camp. I'm not positive what it is now. Well, this can be waived. This is at the discretion of the of at the, the team. team. It's not at the discretion of the team once it comes to training camp. This is a, a firecracker for for them mm-hmm. uh, because that's a good team that is together. He's the best corner in the league right now. Yeah, and he's holding out. Meanwhile, Gilmore uh, was listed. Recently, is the best corner in the league. You know, he's always been atop the pro football it's focus. Two rankings. years removed from uh, and, defensive MVP, right? And yes, and got his, you know, got the big contract in New England, and now he's on his way out. They're trying to deal him. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's trying to recruit him out to LA yeah. to join him and uh, continue what they were doing. You know, he was a part of that that nice defensive backfield in Jacksonville, and they're wanting that in out in L.A. with the Rams. Be interesting to follow. Uh, Xavier Howard's a big part of what they got going on in, in Miami. Coming up, Major League Baseball's stance on foreign substances being used by pitchers on the baseball. Uh, talk is there's going to be a mandatory 10-day suspension without pay. Uh, but according to the memo that was sent out this morning, it's a bit more vague than that. Uh, we'll read it to you, and we'll also... Bring out the spider tack. <laughs> we look. This is what we do. We get into a subject and we go all in. This is similar to uh, Daniel Day Lewis speaking like <laughs> Abraham Lincoln in the, in the in the catering line the whole time. We, we're full method on this show. So much so that David Reed went and bought some spider tack that we're going to apply to our hand when we come back. Will we That's ever get it off on Outkick Three Six? Do you have turpentine too? Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. If you're watching on YouTube, we hope you will subscribe to the Outkick 360 channel. Hit the subscription and then, of course, ring that bell so you're alerted every time we go live each and every day at noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central, and as we post new content to the page. Crew's all here today, and we brought some spider tack with us, or David Reed ordered it for us. Um, he has not been asked to be reimbursed. How much does this cost, Reed? Spider tack that off was, of Amazon. Uh, $15. $15. And this is the light. Spider tack light. On the back, Spider tack is a super sticky paste for improving grip on Atlas stones. 
that is the uh, the marketed aspect of what this is, and this is at the forefront of what Major League Baseball is trying to crack down on with the pitchers. If you doubt America's ingenuity, I mean, it's it's built for stones, and we found the way to use it for pitching. It is it's extremely sticky, um, and just to prove it, we can hold it up just by touching the baseball and trying to rip it off. <laughs> Look at this. Instead of getting this on our hands, uh, yeah, uh, because this would not be coming off. Look at this thing. How does that help? Like that—that's the thing that amazes me is that. Wow. Wouldn't the ball stick to your hand longer than you wanted? Like it's—it's it, it's incredible to me that clearly it helps. These yes. guys have figured out a way for it to help. But I look at that and think that wouldn't help well, me pitch. So or have better control. Major League Baseball, they have sent a memo out to all the executives, to the managers, uh, major and minor leaguers, by the way. This goes across the board. Umpires have been instructed to perform checks periodically throughout the game of starting and relief pitchers on both teams, regardless of whether they suspect a violation of the rules. So they're going to be checked no matter if they believe that the pitcher is using a foreign substance or not. And last night, late last night, I saw a tweet where it said that the pitchers in violation would be suspended 10 days without pay. But uh, Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, and others have, have seen the memo that Major League Baseball sent out this morning and put up a story late last night where they're going to be suspended for 10 games with pay. So what is, what is there to deter a pitcher from doing this? If you get caught, you're missing a start. But you're getting paid, and you come back in 10 days and pitch again. You miss one start, you still get your check. Well, the suspension will get progressive. So you do it again, and it'll get worse. Great, and you be, you're suspended with pay. You're, you have a guaranteed contract. Well, your team you wants you You use this pitch. to get your contract, and now that you've got it, if you get caught, there's really no penalty. You just miss a start. Well, your you're, team you're wants, hurting your team. Your team wants you pitching. Sure. But the guy, the guy's cashing checks. I mean, the way, the way to affect them is to hit the, hit him in the pocket. Yes. Like that, if you want to really deter it, then you take well, money the, away. I, I think the problem with this, and it goes back to what Paul's complaining about earlier this week and late last week, uh, Major League Baseball Players Association wouldn't go for the suspension without pay. No. That yeah. that's the issue here, and the the biggest deterrent is in the wallet, uh, and this suspension is allowing those players to keep. All funds, all funds gained. Um, so it's it's worth the risk. I don't know if it's worth the risk. Uh, I mean, you're going to get tossed out of the game that you're in, so your team loses you for that game. You're going to miss a start. How is that better for you or for your team? Well, it's not it's not hurting you. Well, it's hurting you. You're getting thrown out of the game. You're missing a game. Your reputation. If I take steroids as a Major League Baseball player, I'm suspended without pay. If I use this, I'm suspended with pay. I'm, I, the penalties could be better, uh, no doubt. But I still think you don't want. I'm to also get suspended for longer than. It, what's the the minimum suspension for? Fifty games. Is fifty? Yeah, it's like uh, uh, half the season. Well, it took a long, long time for them to get to that, and maybe this will get expanded. I, I'm not satisfied, don't get me wrong, but oh, they no. are universally policing it now as opposed to not policing it mm. at all. So they've acknowledged it's an issue and they're going to do something. So that's progress. Now, this goes for more than just the spider tack. Uh, it goes for you know the sunscreen mi mixed with the rosin. Uh, and again, this is at the discretion of the umpires. 
The rosin you know, the bag still going in play through. as it's always been on the back of the mound. That's it. I mean, this is one of those deals where you know it when you see it kind of thing. Um, but Two checks, I think, for every starting pitcher. Uh, and everybody gets checked at least once. And also, like, if your catcher's doing it for you or a position player's doing yeah. it for you, it's on the pitcher. That guy gets thrown out, too, if they discover it. But the pitcher's responsible for the ball that he delivers. Yeah, it's I, – I feel like – So what about the baseball? You don't have to go immediately to, you know, suspending a guy for the season, but I think money should be a part of it. I think if you're going to be suspended, it's suspended without pay. That's not unreasonable. Well, especially for, I mean, that's why these guys are doing it, is to keep up with the, you know, the top pitchers in the league. To make the money. Yeah. But guys did stop doing it or slow down doing it at the mere threat of what was to come. They did? Well, we saw that spin rates have gone down over the last week, 10 days, while this memo was pending. So the mere warning of it slowed down the, the use of it based on the spin rate evidence. So that tells you something. So I've got a big-time Twitter beef that I'd like to take to you guys, sure. if that's okay, because it's going on live during the show. So we're going to throw a quick curveball, not with this spider tack back here, that if I attempted to throw a curveball with this spider tack, would probably <laughs> end up uh, on the Reed. first base side in the bleacher somewhere. Reed, have you used this for softball? You can you can be honest. You've ordered this before, haven't you? No, because I like the stuff that comes in the spray can. It's a oh. lot easier <laughs> to pull around. Okay. What's going on it's Twitter? It's called the clear. That's what he likes. Yeah. It's <laughs> clean in the clear. The, cre the cream in the clear. It's the clear that he, he likes. Wouldn't it be easier if you could just use the steroidal ointment for both uh, throwing sure. and hitting? Sure, why not? Um, Two for one. Let me be clear. Uh, with with Michael Jensen on Twitter, uh, who is uh, part of the perpetually offended crowd, <laughs> he says, and he this is a day later. He had, he's watched the podcast. He's all caught up on our Christian Erickson discussion yesterday. Yes, he said I replied to this yesterday, and I listened to your take on the ESPN coverage one more time. Today I'm in total disbelief of what I heard from all three of you. I would say that Paul Kaharski was the only one who fully understood the situation, maybe because he saw the match. But defending ESPN showing the CPR carried out on Christian Erickson and the horrific pictures of his wife crying on the pitch, who at that point thought he was dead, was absolutely disgusting. I cannot believe that you all defended ESPN for showing that. I'm shocked. And then the lack of understanding that the options given to the players of how to finish the game were totally ridiculous. I cannot believe what I heard yesterday. Your takes were so far removed from reality and cynical. They showed far more than they should have. They could have gone back to the studio or another shot away from the scene. To Paul's point, ESPN should have had people at the stadium in person to report it. That was our point as well. That is how you do the job and tell the story as it happens. You mentioned that you thought it was fair, that the options they were given by UEFA were fair. Those aren't options that takes the well-being and mental state of the players into consideration. Some of them were in a state of shock. Here's what I would say if they were in a state of shock. If you want to talk about being cynical and not having priorities in order, they could have forfeited the game. They lost anyways. If they were so mentally disturbed, after having found out that their teammate was fine Unless you cancel the in Euro. the hospital, then forfeit it. If you're so disgusted by the two options given of finish later that night or sleep on it and come back tomorrow and play, then don't be cynical about it and forfeit the game because the game doesn't matter at that point anyways. They took the option to finish the game later that day. Hutton and I have no problem with that. 
I have no problem with those options given because the third option would be we're not showing up. I said yes. Unless you give us a week off. I have and then no the says fine, you forfeit. I have no problem with that option because about a, what thirty minutes after they suspended the match, we found out that he was alert and stable. Well, he was moving and moving that, his hand on his way off the field. Well, sure, but but, but the tweet was he was in stable yeah. condition. Uh, not even critical condition, stable condition was, What's this guy's was the name? announcement. Michael Jensen. I want to address the earlier part of this. Uh, what did you think when Dale Earnhardt died at Daytona? It, it's a news event happening yes. in a live sporting event. Uh, again, I, I didn't think the camera work was obtrusive, but if you think that go dark in a full, uh, the TV should go dark in a stadium full of people when a news event is happening at a game, it's a news event. My now, issue, we respect Paul, the guy's privacy to a degree, but as soon as you see CPR going on there, you know that there, uh, there's a guy in distress at a soccer game. That's a news event. I don't want them to invade the guy's space, interfere with what's going on, but I don't think it's at all unreasonable to say there's a, a, a premier soccer player at a premier soccer event in distress right now. This is a shocking event. And we're trying to get information about what's going on. Oh, my God, his wife is on the field. This is, this is terrible. But she's on the field. I mean, I don't know. How, how is this somehow disrespectful? It's not disrespectful. Was- it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Um, but I don't think she's looking around worried about TV cameras at the moment. She's worried about her husband. And it's unfortunate that it happens in a, in a televised international event, for sure. But... The fact is, it happened at a televised international event. And I don't need to watch the guy uh, die or, yeah, or I don't be need resuscitated. To see that, but I need to know what's going on. And whenever I was alerted that there was you know, something going on in this match, I tuned to ESPN, and no one tried to even say what was going on. Other than, you know, it, out of abundance of caution, uh, everyone is taking the, the proper precautions to make sure he's okay, which is great. But... Did the guy break his leg? I had no idea when I tuned in. Is this Kevin Ware from Louisville? I had no clue the way ESPN was covering this. Uh, Until they went back to the studio and we saw some actual reporting going on with people on their cell phones texting and calling and getting information uh, from what was going on at the stadium. It's just another classic example to me that with, with you can't worry about... Someone's always going to be offended about something. Always. Always. And you, you have to do the best job you can and not worry about the critics that are going to be offended over everything because no one was laughing on the ESPN crew. They knew the gravity of the situation. They spoke in a way that was very respectful. He's talking about filming the CPR. The one time I saw CPR being performed was a quick shot of the huddle from afar of the players around Erickson, and you could, I could see in between their legs that, that, that someone was, was, was performing CPR. But I wouldn't have known, to Hutton's point, I really wouldn't have known what all was going on with the collapse unless I saw that, and that's when I first thought, that's bad, that this is terrible. But the broadcasters did an excellent job of communicating how terrible things were going on. And if they just immediately cut away and give no information and show nothing, then people are going to be angry that they didn't do their jobs in a serious situation like that. I just, to me, classic example of 
you're never going to please everyone. Someone's always going to be offended about something. So just do the best job you can. And ESPN takes a lot of heat for a lot of things. I thought they did a, a, a good job. I thought they did a good job. Hutton was saying that he'd think they didn't do enough of explaining the situation. I think they did an appropriate job given the circumstances of what happened. I just couldn't, I couldn't tell you what was going on as a viewer tuned in that, did, that wasn't watching it live. Uh, and they should have text. reset more. I mean, there, there was nothing that informed me on the serious nature other than what I was seeing with the players around whoever was on. I didn't even know who Erickson was the player that was down for the first three or four minutes after tuning in. That's how little they were telling us other than there was something serious going on. I, I want to know who, what, when, why, how. And in the, the moment tuned in as a viewer when they had – Plenty of people like me who were alerted on social media that something was going on. When you actually tuned into the broadcast, you couldn't figure it out. And it took me all the, oh, what, they were live for 10 minutes and then went to the studio? Which is probably... I think they were live for long enough. That, that's probably an indication that they were not set up in studio waiting on the half to, to go on. They were, you know, offset watching the match. And they had to go get mic'd up and get no, ready to go on. they should have been set up because it was close to halftime. It was within two or three minutes a half. Well, the one thing that I do remember the broadcasters talking about was, can't they just stop the clock? I know the rules dictate that they just, just go to they, they let it run with stoppage time. Yeah. Oh, During yeah. the whole thing, and the right. clock just kept running, the one kept guy running. Was saying they should just blow half. They said just yeah, just make it halftime or stop it. Speaking of the Euros, Fanduel.com/slash OK360. You know that this uh, viewer here which wants to cancel the Euros after what happened, uh, but Fanduel, they're not canceling. Euros. Uh, they are giving you a great offer. First-time users, you can bet the Euros and win double. Two times the winnings on any player to score right now. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Minimum wager uh, and deposit of $10. And then you can make the risk-free bet. And then you can also have the risk-free bet up to $1,000. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Tennessee Power Hour next across the Outkick Network. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.